Old Testament reading for today comes from Genesis chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. It says this, From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister? And she herself said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, have I done this? Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, Why did you, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abraham said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone, and you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Our New Testament reading is from John chapter 19, verses 38 to 42. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, also, who had earlier come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight, so that they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. 
Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have made us, and we are yours. We have come into your presence this morning to worship you, our creator, because of your infinite worth and glory. We desire for your name to be magnified in all the earth and for your righteousness to be seen in every nation. Make us your faithful followers, even in the midst of many difficulties we face, physical ailments, pain, temptations, weakness and sadness. We know, Lord, that you are coming soon to restore all things. We ask for grace to consider all these things joy. For we know that in Christ we have health, we have hope, we have deliverance, strength, and eternal blessedness. We pray in particular for Sean Tavalosi as he prepares to be deployed to the Middle East, to places that are dangerous and potentially very dangerous. We ask, Lord, that you would watch over him, that you would be with him wherever he goes, and all those who are with him and all those who are fighting to keep peace. Father, we also pray for his family as they will be without him for such a long time. We pray that you would give them patience and particularly his wife, patience and wisdom in his absence. We pray also for Ken Abbott who continues his treatment, Father, that it would be successful and that his cancer would be eradicated. And now we ask for your blessing as your word is preached that our pastor would be strengthened, that you would enable him to proclaim your truth to all who are present here this morning, and that we might have ears to hear, to be made able to receive the implanted word with meekness, so that by it we may be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. And in his name we come before you and pray these things. Amen. Well, good morning. If you would turn to John chapter 3, John the Apostle has written a story about the life of Jesus. At the end, he tells us the reason I have written is so that um, you might believe. And I've given you signs and sayings, things that Jesus said and things that Jesus did, and I present them for your consideration and so the question is, uh, do they convince you? And then he says, um, the word became flesh and lived and dwelt among us. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the only one, one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And roughly, uh, grace are the things that Jesus did and truth are the things that Jesus said. 
And so he's saying, I'm going to give you things that Jesus said and things that Jesus did, and then you can decide if you think he is the Son of God. Because if he is and you accept him as such, then you will have eternal life. But if you don't accept him as such, then you will not have eternal life. So he has introduced us to uh, Jesus, and then he's introduced us to some of the apostles. And now he's going to introduce us to some conversations. You would think, well, the first thing we need from Jesus is great preaching. Instead, John begins his introduction to Jesus with conversations. And he gives us three in a row right here at the beginning. The first is with Nicodemus, a leader of the Jewish nation. The second is with a woman at a well in Samaria who is not even a full Jew. And then a Roman official whose son, his only child, is desperately ill. And so the first one, like Nicodemus, is a, an educated person, a leader, but he's confused. He, have, he has knowledge, but not light. So he's a sincere seeker, but I call him a confused seeker. He, in fact, we just threw this line in here. Uh, he said to Jesus, how can these things be? And to put it colloquially, Nicodemus, the great leader of the Jews, says, say what? I mean, Jesus explains it to him, and he just wrinkles his brow, and he says, What? And then this woman at the well is really the, the non-seeker. She's minding her business. She's collecting water at the well during the noonday. And along comes this stranger and plops down next to her and says, would you get me some water? And she says, sure. And he starts talking to her about spiritual things. And the third one is this Roman official who really has nothing to do with Judaism or Jesus. But his child is sick and getting worse and worse and about to die. And he had heard reports that Jesus could heal. So he goes to him and says, will you come and heal my son? He's desperate. So you have a confused seeker. What do we call the woman at the well? They're minding her own business seeker. And then we have a desperate seeker. Now, it's helpful to see these three vignettes because we want to know how is the gospel presented to these different types of people, and who better to learn from than Jesus himself. So it's enlightening for us. For example, uh, I've heard people say the best way, the only way to share the gospel truth with people is through friendship. You have to build a relationship with people and earn the right to share which is normally what I follow. But I look at Jesus, the woman at the well doesn't fit that, does she? No relationship was built, no commonality was established, no interview about, you know, the three questions, tell me about your family, tell me about your job, and tell me about how you feel about God. He didn't do any of that. So obviously, you don't have to build a relationship or a friendship a commonality with a person to be able to share the gospel with them. So if Jesus is a pattern, we learn different ways that we can share with people. But what is most telling about this to me is the time that Jesus took with these people. 
He took the time with them to have these conversations. Well, how do we have a record of these conversations? Well, pretty quickly, these disciples, these apostles, they became apostles of Jesus, about 12 of them. People got used to the fact where Jesus was, these guys were. They kind of blended into the background, you know, like your family. They just were there. So Nicodemus comes at night to have this conversation, but some of the apostles are there. John was there. And when he had this uh, conversation with the woman, they were either there or they asked Jesus, it says in the text, now what did you say to her? And then the same thing with the official. So what I want to do this morning, I want to spend two weeks in John 3 because we're going to get to the person and then we're going to get to the proclamation. We're going to talk about Nicodemus this morning and the next week we'll talk about regeneration, which is the subject. Because there are really three people in John 3. There's Nicodemus, there's Jesus, and then there's the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and what he does next week. This week, we're going to talk about Nicodemus. And this scripture, the text, actually begins at the end of chapter 2. You know the, the, the chapters and verses were added centuries after the, these letters were written, these gospels. And um, sometimes, you know, they could be improved upon. So chapter 3 begins at 2.23. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He's basically saying, I don't care if you're for me or against me, because I know what's in your heart. And so I don't need anybody's testimony. He goes into this more at the end of chapter 3 and in chapter 4. He says, he did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man, chapter 3. Now there was a man. See, we need that introduction because Nicodemus is such a high-powered leader and political leader and religious leader. We find ourselves in the presence of those people saying, oh my goodness, what do I say? Can I say anything? All I can do is just stand here and shake their hand, and I'm so glad to be here. But Jesus says the way you approach it is understand what's in a person's heart. All have sinned to fall short of the glory of God. And the Scripture teaches, and I promise you, that you will never meet a human being, no matter how talented, skilled, or elevated in your lifetime, that does not have a heart of sin. Have you, met, have you ever met anyone that didn't? You never will. So there came a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. He came to Jesus at nine and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, verily, verily, in Greek is amen, amen, Unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Unless a man is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. 
you should not be surprised at my saying you should be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus asked, how can this be? Say what? And Jesus said, you are Israel's teacher, and you don't understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak, Jesus, of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe it if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this vignette, this picture of Jesus and Nicodemus. We thank you there was a witness there to record it, and so that we might read it and learn from it. Will you open this text to us this morning? We ask in Christ's name, amen. Now, who was Nicodemus? You see right there, it says he was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council. And uh, it says later on, he was a Pharisee. And it says, I give you the text there, and he was called the teacher of Israel. Now, the ruling council is called the Sanhedrin. Those were the top leaders. And they had political power. These people, they were both priests and politicians, you know, somewhat the way uh, Islam operates. We have separated the two in in modern Western uh, nations, but here uh, he was a political leader and a religious leader, and these were the ones that governed the nation of Israel, and they were the ones that interfaced with the Romans. You know, the Romans would go to the Sanhedrin and say, this is what we want done. And they're the ones that carried it out. And they were the ones that would take the questions of the, the rights of the people to the Romans and ask for something. Now, he was a Pharisee. Now, uh, Pharisees have a, a bad rap, don't they? Jesus, uh, and between Jesus and John the Baptist, my goodness, they called them whited graves, whited sepulchers. In other words, they're white on the outside, but inside are dead bones, That's what you call a loving approach. It's a loving way of speaking to people. Uh, Now, I forget, was it Jesus or John the Baptist that said, it was John the Baptist, uh, you brood of snakes, vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Jesus and uh, John the Baptist were cousins, and apparently they they shared this uh, way of winning friends and influencing people in a John the Baptist wouldn't even baptize some of the Pharisees. How about that? He said, you're not really repenting, so I'm not going to give you the sign of repentance or baptism. But now you look at Nicodemus, and he doesn't seem such a bad guy. He comes to Jesus respectfully. He says to him, Rabbi. He calls him right up front, teacher. If you call someone teacher, that means I'm willing to learn from you. So that shows some humility, does it not? And he says, we know that you're from God. No one can do what you're doing, these miracles, if he's not sent from God. And now that showed some recognition of how God works and how God was uh, communicating who Jesus was. 
Now, Jesus goes further and says, wait a minute, let me explain something to you. I'm not just a prophet. I'm not just someone sent from God. Look what he says down here. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. He said, I am from heaven. And so if Nicodemus was confused at the beginning about regeneration, imagine how confused he is now that this human being is standing in front of him and saying, I have come from heaven, and I know and can explain God because I have been in God's presence. So I think he left more confused than when he arrived. So there must have been good Pharisees. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the Pharisees. What happened was they believed that when God gave the five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, including the Ten Commandments and the Law, that God was not just surface speaking. He was giving them how to live their lives. And if you, if you studied the, the words of God, you would have tenets for how to live your life with your family and your nation and your job and your future and heaven, the whole bit. So they studiously entered into understanding these things that God had written. Now, that's not new. In fact, in our tradition, the uh, Reformed Presbyterian, we have the, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we have the larger catechism and the shorter catechism. A catechism is a Q&A, a question and answer. You ask a question, you know, what is sin? Or what is God? What's the chief end of man? You know, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that comes from Scripture. It's pulled out of Scripture. And so we can quote scriptures that we got this from. It's a systemizing of uh, these stories uh, in the Bible. And so one of the biggest things that helped me when I became a Christian was I had not been exposed growing up the way you, some of you are blessed to be, of like the catechism, the larger and shorter catechism. And I was reading the exposition of the Ten Commandments. And I got down to the section that was talking about honor your father and your mother. And it said, you know, this is talking more about parents. Because you remember, who was the Old Testament general that got healed of um, leprosy? Naaman. And remember, he had leprosy, and he went to the prophet. And the prophet said, go wash yourself in the Jordan. And he got upset, and he said, we got better rivers in the Jordan. It's full of mud, and it's slow moving. He said, I'm not going to do that. And then one of his servants said, look, if he said do something hard, you do it. Why not do something easy? And he went and did it, and he was cleansed of his leprosy. That servant said to Naaman, Father. He said, Father. That was a form of address. So you see, when God talks about honor your father and your mother, he's just not talking about parents. He's talking about relationships. And so uh, the larger catechism, starting about you know, 98 through about 120, it takes each of the Ten Commandments and explains how they apply to our lives. And I read the section on father and mother, and it talked about superiors, inferiors, and equals. And if we had studied and followed that, there would be no Me Too movement. There would be no labor union. Because it basically says, this is how a, a superior treats an inferior. This is how an inferior relates to a superior. 
And this is how people who are equal relate to each other. We're going to talk about this at 11.15 in the uh, sermon discussion. I'm going to hand out something. You get a chance to look at it. Well, this is what the Pharisees did. They said, this is God's word. He has revealed himself to us. And we can study his words and learn how to live a fruitful, abundant, glorifying to God life. But somewhere along the line, something went wrong. Something went off the rails. Because some, like Nicodemus, learned from that Bible study. But some, like some of the other Pharisees, they learned how to do it outwardly, but it didn't affect their heart. Now, that never happens today, does it? Everyone in every church in America and the world this morning has heard God's word and has changed their mind and their heart, and they're different people, right? And there is no wheat and tares. There's no weeds among us, are there? Uh, there's no weed in our own heart, is there? I mean, we're perfectly transformed, you see? So this is not new, but the Pharisees, they really got into it. I wrote it down that what they did, um, they started uh, writing it down, and they came up with life rules and regulations. And the Mishnah is the codified scribal law, like we have the confession and the catechisms. And then the Talmud was the explanatory commentary on it. Now, for example... The, the, the commandment says, keep the Sabbath holy. It's just, you know, one, one, one line, one paragraph. Well, they came up in the Mishnah, there are 24 chapters on keep the Sabbath. And in the Talmud, there are 156 double-sided pages. So that's over 300 pages on that one commandment. One rabbi spent two and a half years studying that one chapter on keep the Sabbath. And here's the way it worked. For example, you couldn't tie a knot in a string or a rope because that's work. But some knots you could tie, like on a woman's uh, undergarments or girdle, if she had to tie it up. So if you wanted to get water out of a well on the Sabbath, you couldn't tie a rope around the bucket and drop it in the well. But you could tie the bucket to the woman's uh, undergarment and pull it up. Because that knot was okay. You couldn't travel on the Sabbath. You couldn't go more than a 1,000 yards from your home. But if you lived in town and you tied a rope around the road in the town, the whole town became your home and you could go a 1,000 yards beyond that rope. It just went on and on and on. And Jesus said, look, man was, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You're using this as a way to control people. Now, we haven't seen that, have we? We haven't seen organizations and denominations and churches find a way to control people, have we? We see it every day. And so that's what Jesus objected to. And when he's talking, though, to Nicodemus, he's respectful, he's kind, he's gracious. This is a nice conversation with, between this learned, wealthy, politically connected person. 
he's wealthy because he got 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe, and that was expensive stuff to wrap Jesus in. And so there's this conversation going on, but Jesus says, wait a minute, you are Israel's teacher. There goes Nicodemus. He knows all the Bible. You know, if you want to figure out, you know, things about how to apply God's word to your life, he's the one you need to talk to. He was a celebrity. He was powerful. He was wealthy. He was connected. His family there in Nicodemus is through hundreds of years down in Israel, and they are ambassadors and leaders and everything. So he belonged to this powerful family. But Jesus says to him, you are Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things? See, it surprised him. And see, that's why I can even apply our study of the uh, Ten Commandments. Because one of the questions is, what makes sins aggravated? Make, what makes sin worse? Because, you know, there's some little sins and there are big sins. And so they're not all the same. And they can be heinous is the word they use or aggravated. And it says, and each one of these lines has a, several scriptures to back them up. You can aggravate sin because of who you are. If you are a riper age, in other words, if you're older, if you've had a greater experience of grace, in other words, you've had the blessing of growing up in a Christian home or going to church or going to seminary, eminent for profession, in other words, that person really stands out as a Christian. They're clear about who they are. Having greater gifts, you know, some have more spiritual gifts or greater ones than others, place office guides to others whose example is likely to be followed by others from the parties offended if against God, against his attributes and worship. It goes on for a whole page, page and a half. The idea being you have more responsibility if you have more age, more knowledge, more grace in your life, if you have a higher position, it goes on and on. And the more you add those things up, the greater is your responsibility. And that's why Paul says, let not many of you become teachers of the Word of God, because by doing so, you incur a stricter judgment. So I tell people some uh, 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 life advice. Don't go to church. If you do, and you hear songs sung that has scripture in them, and you hear people pray, and a preacher get up and preaches the word of God, you bear more responsibility. So don't go to church. At least go to a church where there's a sermon. And if there's a sermon, don't let it be more than 10 minutes. Okay? If there are churches like that, go find one. You lower your responsibility. Please don't come to Sunday school. My goodness, that just level raises your level of responsibility. Because then you sit there in a group and you're sharing God's word and you're going to learn things. You go to Ken's class and you can learn about attributes of God. You can go to my class and discuss the sermon and learn about the Ten Commandments. You can go to Sandy's class you can, and there's another lady's class. I mean, don't. You are just digging yourself in deeper. You see what I'm saying? Don't go to the Monday night men's Bible study. No, 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 no. You don't want to do that. 
avoid all these things. Or you'll find yourself like Nicodemus saying, you don't know this? Look at all the opportunities you had. Now, I know you're going to come to me and say, wait a minute, Jerry. My soul thirsts for the word of God. I am hungry for the fellowship of fellow believers. I yearn to join with my brethren in worshiping God. I am hungry. I am thirsty. I must go. Well, then, I guess you have to go. You're willing to take the chance. You say, but I might even learn more about God. I might be better equipped to glorify him. I might be better prepared to share him with others. It's worth the risk. I'm willing to do it. And then someone comes to me and says, wait a minute. I can't eat that steak. It's full of nutrients and vitamins. But I ordered medium rare, and this is rare. I can't eat it. It's not to my taste. My trout must have almonds on it and a sprig of something green. And it's just plain. And I say to them, you must not be hungry. And if you're not hungry, I wonder if you're born again. If you don't have a hunger for God's word presented in a plain fashion, if you don't have a desire for fellowship with God's people, if you don't have a yearning to learn how to share the truth with your neighbors and friends and family, you must not be hungry. You must be full of what the world has to offer. You don't have a God-given hunger. Are you regenerated? Are you born again? We have to ask that question, don't we? And we learned that from Nicodemus because Jesus said, you're the teacher of Israel and you don't know this? You are responsible because you spent your whole life, you had the wealth and the leisure and the teaching of the rabbis. You know the Old Testament. You should know what I'm talking about. But here he is. Here is this committee, Pharisee, ruler of the Jews. But go on. He's curious. He has a conviction. Jesus is from God. But he has confusion. You know, you're not educated by the rabbis. You're a carpenter. You know, who comes from Galilee, for goodness sakes? Why would you have a pastor in Maryland from North Carolina? <laughs> Who knows? The search team is carefully figuring out which states we will accept and which states we will not. We have to be careful about these things. The way Nicodemus was. And he's confused. It's amazing how information doesn't always equal enlightenment. We're going to talk about that next week. Why can you know it but not understand it? Why can you have it but you can't eat it? Why can you chew on it but not get any substance? Why can you be surrounded by food and not be hungry? We will talk about that next week. 
But I have to say that what Jesus did here, I'm learning from him. He did him full of grace. He said, you must be born again from above. What? 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 Aren't there any preliminaries? Aren't we going to have a discussion here? Aren't we going to, oh, Sandy and I were in uh, Turkey and we're trying to buy things. And every store you go into, you first had to have tea. Had to have hot tea. And then you had to tell them about your family. And then they tell you about their family. I'm saying, hey, we're here to buy something. I don't want to spend time talking about it. I care about your family. <laughs> well, wait a minute. This is how we do things. And by the time, I just grew to love it. And I met so many storekeepers. And they tell me about their family and their country. And then I tell them about my family. And, and then, uh, well, why are you here? Well, I want to buy something. Oh, you come to the right place. <laughs> how much is this? All for you, for you, for you, $10,000. <laughs> Say what? How about 2000 Oh, you slay me, my children will starve. How am I going to do this? This really happened, right? Sandy was there. But then Nicodemus says, let's get into it. And Jesus said, no, you've got all this background. You can understand what I'm saying. You must be born again from above. He just jumped right into it and said, this is what you need. I'm not going to mess around. It's late. Got to get to bed. You got to get home. You must be born again from above. And here's where I'm a little concerned about Nicodemus. It does not say, like the woman at the well or the official, and he put his faith in Jesus. He believed all that he says. It doesn't say that is silent. I suspect if he did, it would have said. So he's going to think about this. Now, he had this personal conversation with this person that's doing miracles that he knows as a rabbi that says, I come down from heaven. I am the son of God. That doesn't leave you much wiggle room, does it? Either he's crazy or he is who he says he is. Or he's the biggest charlatan in the world. But then he went and died for it. Not much wiggle room. So I have to say, like Barak in the Old Testament and Peter, he came to the point. You know, Barak, he was back there with Deborah and she says, go out and kill these bad guys. He says, I only do it if you come with me. And she says, okay, we'll do it that way. Because of the way you're going about this, the honor of victory will not be yours because the Lord will hand Sisera, the general, over to a woman. And that woman is J.L., and she puts a tent peg through his head. You see, he didn't, he didn't grab the opportunity. How, how would it read if, and this great teacher and leader of Israel believed on Jesus and it changed his life? And he went back and shared with everyone he could about Jesus. Wouldn't that be great? Silence. Crickets. <laughs> but but did he, he did show flashes of courage. Down there in uh, John 7, they were in the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus before, that's in your bulletin, and who was one of the Pharisees, said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? And they replied, are you from Galilee too? 
search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They shut him down. Don't you wish if he could stand here today, don't you think he, he said, oh, I wish I had said, I've talked to him. This is the son of God. No man can do the miracles he's doing unless he's sent from God. And he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic. He must be the son of God. We must follow him. But don't you think Nicodemus, would, looking back on his life, would want to say that? Opportunity missed. Opportunity missed. And he did show this courage at the end down here in chapter 19 when Jesus was crucified. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea came and said, I want the, can I have the body? And Pilate gave it to him. And he said that Joseph of Arimathea was a secret follower of Jesus for fear of the Jews. It doesn't say that about Nicodemus, but they're so close together, you wonder, you hope. But it doesn't say that about Nicodemus. But he did. He came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloe, 75 pounds. So they were able, they took the body of Jesus and bound their linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. He provided the spices that were necessary to wrap the winding sheet, and you put the spices in there to preserve the body. And that was his act of courage, and it's here recorded for us. So here's a confused seeker, a great leader. And we don't know the end of the story. I hope we find Nicodemus in heaven. And I learned two things from this. First of all, the patience of God the grace of Jesus, that here's a guy who should have known this, but he takes the time to explain it to him in a way that he can understand. And nowhere does Scripture condemn him as a Pharisee. In fact, when he had shining moments, Scripture records it. When he stood up for Jesus in the Sanhedrin, when he brought the burial spices. But that's the patience of God. But the other thing I learned is that he didn't speak up when he had the chance. It's nowhere recorded that he did. And there's a part of me that's sad about that. And I said, I want to learn, when I'm in that situation by the patience of God, could I have the grace to speak up like Peter did? Could I have the grace that Jesus set his face like flint and he went to the cross to be able in tight situations to say, Jesus is Lord. If he's patient with me, shouldn't I stand up for him? In fact, didn't I give you a scripture here in the sermon outline? Matthew 10, 33, Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And we know that if God tells us that something negative, like do not kill or murder, we know the opposite of true, work to preserve life. And it's not just denying, it's missing the opportunity to claim. 
So I want for me and I want for you with graciousness and patience and the kind of mercy that God shows to stand up for Jesus. When we have the opportunity to not look back on our life, especially when we stand before God and say, I wish I had. I wish I had. I wish it was recorded of me that I said, Jesus is Lord. Some things we can learn from Nicodemus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for this story of Nicodemus. Let us learn from it your great patience and mercy. And let us also learn that when you give us the opportunity to just claim you, that we would have the, the grace to do so and not look back with regret even if we have to pay a price. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.